In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few years ago, I was flying from Nashville, Tennessee, to San Antonio. I had been to a friend of mine's wedding, and it was a late summer event. During the wedding, and also during the days leading up to it, the weather had been perfect, so I had little concern about how the flight home would be. The captain came on to the PA system and explained that we might have to fly around a storm that lay between us and our destination, and as a result, the flight might arrive slightly late. Since I had no connecting flight, I planned to relax, read a book, and enjoy the trip. We had been airborne for about 10 minutes or so when the flight attendant came across the PA, expecting her to tell us about snacks and beverages and the method of payment. I was a little stunned by her announcement. She said that at this time they were not going to be serving refreshments, at least for not right now. A few moments later, our co-pilot came on the speaker and said that we needed to remain seated and that we were approaching a very turbulent pocket of summer air. Now, I've flown quite a bit. I've even taken flight training courses and have soloed in a Cessna and doing a little cross-country 90-mile trip, in fact. But this, I was completely unprepared for. First, the plane shook a little, and then we dropped perhaps a few hundred feet. Then we stabilized and had a few severe bumps. After one particularly jolting bump, some of the storage bins opened with the force of the shock. Then we hit another pocket of air, and it seemed like the airplane had lost lift. And then the panic began to happen. Some people started crying. Others gripped the arms of their chairs in white-knuckled anticipation of the next rocking. A few people started screaming on the big bumps. Falling luggage added to the anxiety. The little bags that are in the seat back pockets that are used for unpleasant circumstances, let's just say that a number of them were being used. This half roller coaster, half horror film lasted a fairly good amount of time until it stopped like that. And there was a little turbulence and then nothing, just smooth air to fly through. Christian faith in many ways is like an airplane trip with gut-wrenching turbulence. The more idyllic trips are smooth, fun, and enjoyable once aboard the plane. And often we hear or we read about how wonderful the Christian life is. Some paint it as something close to a cruise or an extended vacation. I believe in Jesus and I'm saved, so I have nothing to worry about. But this isn't reality. In fact, in many ways, that is almost a delusion. 
Jesus never promised that it would be an easy life. In fact, in many cases, he warns us that following him takes a commitment beyond our comprehension. Take up your cross and follow me is not a romantic notion of walking in someone's footsteps. It is a denial of self. And when we think of many of the saints of ages past, we see that many of them had prepared themselves for an ordeal. As some scholars have pointed out, probably half of the New Testament was written by Paul while he was sitting in a prison cell or under house arrest, not in a palace or a mansion. John the Revelator wrote the book of Revelation while in exile on an island, probably under some sort of guard. According to tradition of the remaining 11 disciples who were on this boat in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the battering waves and wind, 10 of them met death by a means of cruel torture and execution. Even today, our modern-day saints and martyrs have faced circumstances that we have perhaps once dreamt were past, part of ages long ago. In the 20th century alone, it has been reported that we have had more Christian martyrs than in any other century, and many of their names we know even here in the United States. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed by the Nazis, Oscar Romero, the El Salvadorian Archbishop who was assassinated while saying Mass, Martin Luther King Jr., cut down by a bullet in Memphis, Tennessee, the martyrs of Uganda, Korea, Japan, and many other countries where the government is complicit in the extermination of Christians and even Jews and Muslims who try to practice their faith. So you may be asking, what does this have to do with Jesus walking on the water? It has everything to do because Jesus walking on the water has absolutely nothing to do with himself, with Jesus. It has everything to do with the disciples. Sometimes I think we imagine Jesus saying to himself, well, I better get going. Best thing to do is walk across the sea, and while I'm at it, I'll impress the disciples. But you see, that's not the character of Jesus. Jesus walking across the water is because he knows his disciples are distressed or afraid. And he comes to show them that they can trust in him. A closer reading of the Greek text is not, take heart, it is I, but rather, fear not, for I am. 
And that understanding of I am is the same understanding that Moses encountered at the burning bush and that Jews even up to today understand. There is power in the name of I am. One of the old gospel hymns captures the essence of God's presence, particularly in times of trouble. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. It is a plea we often make in our own distress and discomfort. And it is the promise that Jesus gives us countless times through the Gospels and through the traditions of the church. In the moments of our distress, Jesus comes, walking on water if he needs to, to be right there alongside us. But like the disciples, sometimes we have a difficult time recognizing Jesus in the midst of the storm. Here were a group of men in a boat early in the morning, and they see someone they know, someone that has already performed miracles and taught unbelievable things to them, and they believe Jesus to be a ghost. Peter even needs a point of verification that it is indeed Jesus by asking Jesus to command him to come out to him. And like Peter, sometimes we have faith that fails. We see the storm. We hear the waves crashing. We lose sight of those whom we can trust and we sink. We start to fall. And as we go, we cry out, Save me, Lord! And what happens? Jesus reaches down. He grabbed Peter. He grabs you and me and all of us. Sometimes we don't recognize it. It's the call from a friend, the embrace of a spouse, the meal shared with distant relatives. Each are small moments of grace that push us, propel us along, and give us hope. If only we can see and recognize them. Jesus comes to us. Jesus doesn't abandon us to waves and tempest. Jesus doesn't cast us into the sea and tell us to sink or swim. Jesus comes to us. No matter how turbulent the ride or the experience. There's a theme that runs through this part of the Gospel of Matthew, after we have read some of the parables. If you noticed, last week, the disciples were the main characters during the feeding of the 5,000. 
again this week. The disciples take center stage. Last week, I said that we have to be the hands, the feet, the ears and eyes of Jesus as he works his will through this world. This week, I am tempted to say the same thing, but expand it slightly. Yes, we must be the senses of Jesus in this world. That's what being a disciple is partly about. We must keep our ears and eyes open to the needs of individuals and even whole communities that we encounter. We must go to them as Jesus went to the disciples, walking on water if we need to. But when we are the ones who are distressed about our daily life, about the troubles and tragedies that beset us, we must also have the ears and the eyes to recognize Jesus as he comes to us and as he calls us out of our distress. Just as unlikely as it would be for any one of us to begin to walk across Corpus Christi Bay after this service to eat in downtown Corpus Christi, so Jesus comes to us sometimes in the most unlikely ways to us. And sometimes it is only after deep reflection that we realize that it was the heart of Jesus and the action of someone that made all the difference. Life is turbulent. Life can be downright dangerous. But in the turbulence and in the danger, Jesus comes, asks us to trust his love and his care. And when we begin to sink in our faith, as we all do from time to time. He is there to grasp us and to pull us back into our boats. Amen.